What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner, and happy Monday. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you are having a good start to your week. We are going to go through the latest Bitcoin fundamentals report. Uh, you can find that on bitcoinandmarkets.com. Let me share that. That's my home base for all of my content. I come out with a weekly newsletter every Monday that is totally free. I also post all of my podcasts, uh, versions of these live streams on there, as well as some of my other writings and stuff like that. I also have a Market Pro, um, and that uh, is the premium tier for all things price and forecast related. Also, we have a price forecast competition for paid members. So if you want to take part in that, $5 a month. You get a few little perks, plus you can be in our uh, price competition, have a chance of winning $20 of sats at the end of the month. So check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. That price competition uh, entries are due by the 4th, so this month is past, but if you want to join and be ready for the next month, go ahead and do that. So, okay, today is getting into the fundamentals report, so I'm bringing this up. Issue number 251, always start out with a meme at top. This is perfect <laughs> from Wojak Bitcoin. Um, suggest follow them for more memes because I just recently found their their uh, Twitter and or their I guess it's their X account. I don't even know what to call it now, but I recently found this and it was really good. So uh, give them a follow. But OK, the SEC is coming for crypto. We need to stick together. Bitcoin is not crypto. This is perfect because. Obviously, if you guys are not new to my content, then this is one of the biggest things I wanted to do in 2023. I mean, it's one of the biggest things I've wanted to do for pretty much the last three or four years is separate this false substitution, this affinity fraud that crypto has with Bitcoin. Um, but what I like about this meme, too, is that it points out, you know, they want us, they want protection from Bitcoiners. They want the protection of being like Bitcoin because Bitcoin offers them this plausible deniability. But if Bitcoiners are like, no, we're not going to be like you. We don't want you. We don't want scammers. You are not like Bitcoin. They lose their plausible deniability and they get mad. So anyway, that's a good meme. Bitcoin Fundamentals Report. I actually think I forgot to update these links. Yeah, I forgot to update those links. So disregard the links this week. Uh, but anyway, that, that's just to help you guys jump down to different sections. So let's get into the snapshot. Um, let me zoom in too. This will make it a little bit better. So, okay, snapshot of Bitcoin weekly trend. We are in, in a major squeeze of volatility. And we'll take a look at the price and we'll see that. But that is... The trend that I'm that I the overriding trend is that we have all this good news, but like the media sentiment, which is the next one, is very very positive. Everything is good. Network is stable. Uh, mining is stable. Having is coming up. Everything's major, except the price is just not moving. So we will take a look at the price, but I think that is the main weekly trend here in Bitcoin. Price is down slightly since last report, last Monday, $300, 1%. But it, again, it has been extremely stable. Market cap is still over half a trillion. Satoshi's per dollar, $34.61. One Finney, which is one ten thousandth of a Bitcoin, right in the smack dab in the middle of the decimal places, is $2.88. Mining sector, last uh, adjustment was 
pretty much negative 3%, but we looks like we will get about a positive 1% uh, in about 24 hours from now in the next adjustment. Mempool is slightly elevated from last week up to 130 megabytes. And we'll take a look at a chart of that. Uh, fees for next block, 89 cents, still under a dollar, but uh, getting a little bit higher, 22 sats per virtual byte. And that comes from mempool.space and their uh, statistics. Same with this lightning capacity and channels. That's where I get this from mempool.space. Uh, the capacity increased slightly, seven bitcoins. <laughs> The capacity went up seven bitcoins. Well, that's better than nothing, right? But we did have a gigantic decline last week. Um, so it's good to see a tenth of a percent higher, but there's just very little life on Lightning. Even though we see all these exchanges coming on board and stuff like that, we are just seeing very little life on Bitcoin. After so many years of development, there is just something missing. And I don't know how people could be around in the space and just not admit that there's there's something missing with lightning it is not taking off there is a major ui problem of some sort ux problem uh and it in its current state <clears throat> even with splicing coming up and stuff like that it most likely won't catch on there's got to be something that uh kicks it off now it is ready for adoption, you know, that it could easily 10x in capacity very shortly. It's ready for adoption. So maybe when the people come, it's just ready to go. Uh, you know, you can't like build something and expect people to adopt it. You People want it first. They demand it first, and then you build it to fill demand. So we just have to kind of wait to see if this takes off. But uh, I've been very disappointed in, in Lightning's overall adoption in the last two years. But okay, channels, 68,000. It did go up by about 170, but that was after a 13% decline on the last newsletter. So yeah, that's uh, something to be watching. Okay, in case you missed it, I have all of my content that came out in the last week here. Market Pro 23, commodities do not indicate return to high inflation. I dive into a bunch of commodities on that one. Um, it's, I recommend signing up for this if you want to get a grasp on um, the cycles, where we are in this kind of large monetary cycle, the debt cycle, things like that. And what I do in this issue is I look at commodities and I say, okay, well, if we're going to return to inflation, is like Dr. Copper, are they, is our commodities, oil and stuff, are they showing that we're going to come back, inflation is going to come back? No, they don't. Uh, but I dive in and take a look at that. Okay, community streams. Uh, I streamed Monday, Wednesday, Friday last week, as well as on Thursday with FedWatch. Uh, only two of those came out in podcast form, though. So uh, check those out if you missed those last week. FedWatch, episode 154, Bitcoin is the real ESG. We dove into the KPMG report. So I didn't write a ton about that in this newsletter, but we covered it last week on FedWatch. And I have my most recent blog post up there. I think Thursday I'm going to read through this one, the coming multipolar world, how I'm kind of viewing the uh, future of geopolitics and this multipolar world that we hear so much about and the rise of China and stuff like that. Is that the case? Uh, well, you got to read that to find out. Okay, let's get into the headlines. So... 
ETF timelines. ETF is coming up. ARK Invest is on Sunday is the deadline for the ARK 21 shares Bitcoin ETF refiling. See, that's the second one here. Um, August 13th. Let me just make sure I'm not crazy on that. Yep, that is Sunday. So we, I think we probably will hear something on Friday. I mean, if they're going to delay it, we'll probably hear that on Friday. Perhaps if they approve, they hold it off till a weekend announcement, but I don't even know if they, if they do that. Um, so it's, we'll probably hear something on Friday for ARC. Um, iShares, that's the BlackRock one, 2nd of September, but Bitwise actually squeaked in before them. So you can see all of these 2nd of September, 2nd of September uh, for pretty much everything. 4th of September for the Valkyrie one, but Bitwise squeaked in on the 1st of September. So they are even in front of BlackRock, which is interesting because will they delay Bitwise or could they just like approve all of them together uh, on the 1st of September? That would be something to watch, uh, an idea for that. But um yeah, very interesting with ARC coming up probably by Friday. We will hear something about that. Uh, but I say price should tell us the story. So far, price is not showing signs of an approval for ARC. So that's why I think we will get a delay. All right. Oh, and the Bloomberg ETF team, that's Balkunis and Seifert, or I think it's Seifert is his name. And they have upped their probability to 65%. So they were, uh, before BlackRock filed, they're at 1% of any ETF getting approved. Then they, when BlackRock filed, they went up to 50. And with some recent uh, language from Gary Gensler, you know, Gary Gensler said, hey, I'm just one of six commissioners, I think it is, uh, that, you know, we will look at the Bitcoin ETFs we and we'll vote on it, right? So with that language coming out of Gary Gensler, the Bloomberg ETF team, the specialists there, they have increased their probability to 65%. Now, me personally, I've had it starting at 90%. I said, I think this is going to be a 90% approval. The price has made me question that. Um, I can't remember now if I've come out anything on record saying that I've been below 90%, but I would put it about 50%. 50 or 60% that these get approved. So 65% from the Bloomberg team, like I'm right in there with them. Uh, less optimistic than I was initially because of the price. The price has not confirmed this. Uh, so we'll see if this very low volatility time turns into a breakout, then I will return to perhaps my 90% um, probability on that. But right now I had to decline, I had to, put it down because of the price action. Okay, let me make sure I'm streaming. I'm going out everywhere. Had a sinking feeling. All things look good. If you guys are listening on YouTube, Rumble, give a thumbs up, comment. That helps people find the live streams, helps people find the show. Let's check out Telegram. Telegram is my home base where uh, we're posting about macro and Bitcoin all day long posting memes, but we're serious in there too. We're posting demographic stuff. We're posting uh, stuff. One of the charts I posted this uh, morning was about uh, the Chinese 
uh, foreign direct investment. So, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that we talk about in the Telegram. So if you want to take part in the community, check it out, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. And a big shout out goes to the guys over there on Telegram. Okay, um, let's continue with this. So where was I? <laughs> uh, KPMG, they're a top four auditing firm. And I put I just put this in here because 260,000 employees. Because that just to me, and if I don't know, if just hearing that makes me realize what a big deal they are. Okay, 260,000 employees worldwide in 145 countries, I believe. And uh, they came out with their report just touting the benefits of Bitcoin left and right uh, from an ESG perspective. So, you know, we heard all this stuff from the New York Times calling with the doctored image of. Uh, was it Rockdale? I think it's Rockdale, Texas, uh, showing that's hazy and stuff and attacking Bitcoin mining is, you know, causing the world's problems. And so th this is great to see a top four auditing firm, major, major um, respect for this firm around the world. And they have this long report just talking about all the benefits. They even say things that we have been saying here, like, um, after that Rockdale piece came out from the New York Times, <laughs> Pierre Rochard went out there with the tester uh, behind the rigs and said, oh, it's zero emission, just like an EV is zero emission. And everyone laughed, right? Well, KPMG actually said that in the report. They said Bitcoin mining is zero emission, just like EVs are zero emission. Who's laughing now, Right. They also said Bitcoin can route around authoritative regimes, authoritarian. I should have said authoritarian regimes here, but uh, huge. I mean, these guys sound like Bitcoiners. And the fact that they're calling it ESG, okay, I get it. We, you know, they want us to be one of them or they want us to buy into ESG or something. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. They're touting Bitcoin. They're pumping up Bitcoin and this is a big deal. So uh, I think it's, it's pretty awesome. Like I said, I talked about that on FedWatch quite a bit. Okay, Ripple lawsuit development. So more developments this week on the Ripple case. Another higher court. I think it was a, a lateral court in a different case. So it's the Terra Luna Doquan case. This judge was, so this is wrong. It wasn't a higher court. It was, a, it was another district court looking at another case, reviewing the judgment, the summary judgment from the Ripple case. And they they totally out out and out rejected that uh, that reasoning. So here I have just a clip of this. In doing so, the court rejects the approach recently adopted under the judge of this district in a similar case, SEC versus Ripple Labs. Um, Howie makes no such distinction between purchasers, and it makes good sense that it did not that a purchaser bought the coins directly from the defendants or instead in a secondary resale transaction has no impact on whether a reasonable individual would objectively view the defense defendants actions and statements as evincing a promise of profits based on their efforts. So basically Howie does not draw that distinction and the Torres decision uh, that said that ripple wasn't a security or whatever, kind of half and half uh, it added something to Howie to reach those conclusions. And so this judge is outright rejecting that. And I, this is very important. So the crypto bros 
they are panicked and these tweets never come through, but this is from the meta lawman. And he says, everybody knows judge Torres's decision in the rip in ripple is important. How important the ripple decision and proceedings in the ripple case are cited 13 times by Coinbase in its motion to dismiss the sec's case. The ripple fight benefits all crypto. Well, this makes sense. If you just can substitute scams for crypto, the ripple fight benefits all of the scams. So I say to summarize the entire den of scammers and thieves are having Coinbase fight their fight. And I saw something about this recently about, uh, um, People like the Ethereum Foundation or insiders, the Silicon Valley, that are, you know, shareholders, uh, found like uh, initial founders of uh, Coinbase, not founders, but I guess uh, initial like seed round investors of Coinbase. They are all in on this, the crypto scams. And so they are having Coinbase fight their fight for the entire industry. So the, what Coinbase is doing is now it's relying completely on the faulty decision from Torres. Judge Torres. So it's a chain. If the Torres decision goes down, Coinbase will go down and all the scams will go down. We'll see. We'll see. But I think this is interesting. Okay. Tether updates. Uh, They bought $1.6 billion in Bitcoin this year. If you see, we have a Bitcoin line item here. Uh, Zero at the turn, turn of the year or the, you know, January 1st. And then March 31st, end of Q1, they had 1.5 billion. And then at the end of Q2, they had 1.67 billion. And I figured this out the other day. It's it's close to 30. No, what was it? Jesus. Close to 60, right? Just under $60 million a month that they're pumping in. $60 million a month. So that's Tether's balance sheet. Looks pretty good. Uniswap delists Hex. Now I'm getting back into the altcoin stuff. I mean, <laughs> right starting from the very beginning, the meme, it's altcoin meme, okay? I'm bringing in the altcoin stuff. Then I'm talking about uh, the Ripple lawsuit. Now I'm going to talk about, oh, and Tether. I guess Tether's an altcoin too. Uniswap delists Hex. Usually if you guys are new to my content, I'm... Bitcoin, 10% altcoin, but it seems like there's a lot more altcoin news right now. So that's what we're covering. Uniswap D-list hex. Uniswap is supposed to be the example of of a decentralized altcoin project. Yet this week, they unilaterally delisted hex. Believers will instantly reply, that's just the front end, dude. The protocol is decentralized. Sure. Here's a little background on Uniswap and Uni, their voting token. Uniswap has a front-end UI and a back-end protocol. While it is true that delisting Hex from their front-end does not delist it from the protocol itself, it drastically cuts down on its liquidity and availability. And I've looked it up recently. Uh, is something like uh, 95%. 95% of uh, volume, Hex volume on Uniswap disappeared when they took it off the front end. Okay, the argument also relies on the protocol being decentralized, which it is not. 
There are 1 billion voting tokens, all pre-mined. The team gave themselves 40% of the issuance. To pass a governance pro proposal, they need a quorum of 4% of tokens. And there has only been one proposal passed that I could find on my own. In the meantime, if there is a bug, it is fixed by the central team. There's also They're also on version 3, with version 4 coming soon. Not voted on. It's completely centralized. Uniswap is centralized, but hides under a false separation between front end and back end. They are centralized in different ways, but are still both centralized. Um, yeah, it's they're it's all obfuscation and complex complexity with altcoins. It, but everything always boils down to the central team has control. Period. These are securities. Okay. Macro news. CPI is on deck this week. It will come out Thursday on FedWatch Day. So we will definitely be covering that. But I think I'm going to live stream anyway when it drops because CPI drops at 8.30 Eastern time in the morning. And FedWatch doesn't come on until 12.30 Eastern time. So, you know, I'll probably live stream the initial drop and then I'll wait and talk on FedWatch about the implications and stuff. But uh, it should be a mixed bag. As I wrote on the Market Pro last Friday, gasoline has a positive effect on month over month, but shelter will be negative. So I kind of typos on this. But okay, so gasoline, yes, has gotten more expensive, and that is a big part of all other prices. So we should see a positive effect on the prices due to gasoline, but shelter. It should still be coming down. And shelter was 70% of the last rise, you know, last month's CPI, positive CPI number. Uh, so if shelter keeps com coming down, uh, you know, the rate of change keeps coming down for shelter, uh, that's going to have a drastic effect on the CPI overall. It could possibly outweigh the positive of gasoline. So we don't know exactly where it's going to come out. But I say fade the reacceleration narrative. Uh, my estimates are month over month of 0.2%. It could be under that. I, th I think it's more likely to miss below that than above it. Uh, year over year at 3.2%, but that's up from last month. So last month was 3% or 2.97%. If we come in at 3.2% this week, uh, Everybody is going to be screaming reacceleration, higher inflation, quote unquote inflation for longer, right? Uh, they're going to be screaming about this. It's going to be all over. There's going to be so much fear mongering out there. Uh, it's going to be deafening, but <laughs> it is just baked in the cake because July of 2022 was 0%. I think they call that a base effect. So we're, we're getting rid of a lower number. Last month, we got rid of a very high number. This month, we're getting rid of a very low number. And as long as month over month is positive, 0.1 or 0.2%, we will see an uptick in the year-over-year -year number. But in core, I'm expecting a core month over month, and I forgot to put month over month. Oh, yeah, I did month over month right here. Sorry. Month over month of 0%. But at the year over year coming in at 4.55% because gasoline is not in 
core, only the shelter and shelters coming down. So we should have a mixed bag. Headline will go up slightly, core will come down by three tenths of a percent. But I will be live streaming on Thursday, so I said join me on that. Okay, U.S. government interest expense. This chart has been everywhere recently, and I've seen it just pretty much every notable macro person out there is talking about this. The U.S. interest rate payment or interest payments um, have spiked so badly. And, oh, man, there's just FUD after FUD after FUD about it. Um, Leave it to the fear mongers to jump between scary looking charts because what happened to all the other scary looking charts, all the M remember the M two charts that went around during COVID and the big stimmy checks. And it was looking similar like this, like just skyrocket up. And everyone was like, Oh my God, inflation. And I'm like, no, it's transitory. Now it's, it looks to be transitory, but they find another chart like this right here, interest payments that's going vertical. And they say, Oh my God, people, the dollar's dead. Evil America is going down. You know, like it's just, they're just fear mongers. They don't know what they're talking about. They're jumping between scary charts. Uh, but okay, this shows the interest expense on the U.S. Uh, government debt by quarter. And you can see that pretty easily. I do not make a judgment on the existence of government debt. All I want to do is forecast what will happen. Not based on scary, oh my God type reactions, but sane understanding. Yes, government debt is bad, okay? I, in my life, I don't go into debt. Like the only debt we have is our house. No cars, no student loans, no credit card debt, nothing, okay? I I don't like debt in my personal life. I would probably, I, I would prefer if the government didn't have debt, but the way I see it is more of cyclical, okay? Too many people are too wrapped up in the motivations or the morality of individuals and certain people instead of seeing the broad scope and sweep and swing of history history goes this way and history goes this way your individual you can take care of your own life make your own decisions sure but the human animal the human condition sorry i hit my mic there the human animal and the human con- condition and society in general is is like too complex. It's too complex. And if you a long time listener to my content, like I, I go back and forth between if we have free will or not, because I mean, I think on micro type of decisions, we have free will, but on a grand scheme of things, I don't think we do. Like we are extremely, extremely influenced by our environment. Like, think about this. So people talk about, like, having preservatives in our food. And that might be causing a lowering of testosterone in males. And what is the result of that? Well, less aggressive behavior, less manly masculine behavior. What's the result of that? You know, it doesn't matter if in one instant you have free will. Because overall, you will be affected by other things in your environment. And so will everyone else. And the, there's very rock solid like cycles that human societies, cultures, civilizations, countries or 
empires, whatever, go through. And there is this great man theory of history, okay? Like the great men come out and they change history. But it most likely is because it just happened to be time for that to happen. Like, um, for example, a, a seed falls in the in the desert or something. And it will wait there for years until a rainstorm. And then when rain comes, then it sprouts, you know, it germinates and it grows. It's the same with the great man theory. Really, it's just that the environment changes to a way that a great man can emerge. And I don't know how I got onto this whole subject, but that's the kind of tangents you guys get from Bitcoin and markets. Um, so interest rate payments. Yeah, it, they're, they're just going back and forth between scary charts saying, oh, my God, we should be not judging this. We should be trying to forecast what will happen. And that's the only way to keep your emotions out of it. And really try to understand. So what we are seeing here is the effect of interest rates rising along with government spending. So not only did interest rates go up on new issuance, but the amount of new issuance went up as well. It's pretty basic. When the government pulls forward demand, the economy gets a temporary boost, making money relatively less tight and interest rates will rise. This is the interest rate fallacy. It's opposite of what you think. Interest rates go up because money is loose. More people want that money and are able to afford higher interest rates. Interest rates go up when money is loose. And that happens from government spending. So what happened in 2020, 2021, we had all this government spending, interest rates go up. It's not the Fed raising rates. Just look at the chart. The rates went up before the Fed. The Fed played catch up. And now the rates are lower, especially long-term rates are lower than the Fed funds. And they'll drop. And then what will the Fed do? They will follow it down. Rates matter. Fed does not. So what does this pretend? Not much. People are just trying to get an emotional response out of you or get, you know, engagement farming. Maybe I, maybe I need to be better at that. Maybe I should be doing some of this. Interest rates will soon again, or sorry, interest rates will fall again soon enough. And all that expensive issuance can be rolled over refinanced at lower rates. Plus, if this chart is not normalized for constant dollars, it's worthless. So yeah, of course, 1960s way back here, but what would that be in like 2023 dollars? It would probably be up here in 100 billion. So it, it's not as bad as that chart makes it out to look, but this is a much better chart. And this is from Wolf of Wall Street or wolfstreet.com. Thought I could make, expand this, but I can't. So this is government interest payments as a percent of tax receipts. Oh, now it looks different. Look, in the 80s, we were all the way up at 50. You know, when they raised it for the Volcker uh, into the 80s with the high interest rates and stuff. Look how high that was. 50% of tax receipts went to government interest payments. But look at today. Oh, it's just a little blip. We have Volcker 2.0, supposedly, in Chair Powell. But not nearly up there what it was in the 80s. This is crazy. You know, it's barely higher than it was during the great financial crisis, maybe even just e even with that. So it will come back down, people. It will come back down. Okay. And then I just put another thing here. I wrote extensively about commodities in the market pro. So you should check that out. 
Okay, let's get on to price analysis. So Bitcoin, this week is go time. Either we break up or down. Time to pay attention. Daily chart, can I make this bigger? There we go. Daily chart, coming in here to the 28,300 level that I've highlighted. Let me pull up the live chart, drop down to the daily. See, we got down to about 2,800, sorry, 28,600 area, but now we're back up a little bit today, but I'm watching this zone right here. Let me get my drawing tool out. I'm watching this, this intersection with this, these two levels on this trend line to bounce and go into this at the corner of this triangle. We'll see how that works. We'll see how that hap- uh, if that happens, but we're coming to head. Something's going to happen here very very shortly. Okay, let's get back to the report. So volatility is at all-time lows. And this is a 30-day volatility chart. And you see going back to pretty much the beginning of Bitcoin, it is at an all-time low for 30-day volatility. Uh wow. I, I don't know what else to say other than, wow, that is a pretty big statement. We could be ready for a 2017-style bull market, guys. That's what I'm thinking. Okay, this one I posted in the Market Pro, but I'll, I'll talk about it here again. And last week in the free newsletter in this Bitcoin Fundamentals Report. But uh, this is the B-bands and the width of the B-bands, which is a measurement of volatility. And we are at an all-time low on the weekly B-band volatility. I've highlighted all the times that it has been relatively low, and you can see that they almost universally break up. There was one time where it did break down prior to going back up, which was right before the 2018 floor, where the, the floor just dropped out from the price. But this is looking extremely, extremely bullish. The, the, the close proximity of these two bottoms over here on the far right, the most recent ones, is very similar to 2016. So we'll see. We'll see how this works out, but we could be in for a 2017 style rise, which would be pretty crazy. Okay. On the weekly, you can see the coiling getting tight, right? As all the Bitcoin spot ETFs are coming up for approval. And I just think it's amazing, you know, technical analysis. I, a lot of times I say, all you need is the chart. Uh, money is the only, or uh, price is the only thing that matters. And yeah, you can tell by looking at this chart, something's going to happen soon. And it just happens to also be when all these spot ETFs are coming up for approval. Isn't that funny how that works out? All right. Bitcoin has been so incredibly stable the last few months. People have been lulled to sleep. It is all coming to a head. For Bitcoin to stay on schedule with its historical cycles, it needs to get moving. Something big is going to happen soon. That is not only a gut feeling, it is backed by fundamentals and technical analysis. If Or an ETF decision for ARC coming this week, likely delay. But it is amazing how it lines up with the chart. Whatever is coming, volatility is, whatever is coming, volatility is coming. I messed that sentence up. I'm leaning heavily in the positive direction. Cycles, large asset allocators and ESG ranking agencies having 
supply shortages, pattern squeeze on charts, regulators separating Bitcoin from crypto, ETF timelines, everything is aligning for a positive move. So that is the price section. Check out Market Pro for more forecast, direct forecast, specific forecasts, uh, and market insights. Okay, Bitcoin mining headlines. Stablecoin issuer Tether developing Bitcoin mining software. I thought this was interesting. So Tether is investing excess reserves into Bitcoin. What better way to support the value of their investment than by getting involved in infrastructure like this? Excellent development. And I'm quoting from this article here. The Tether CTO, that's uh, Paul Arduino, right? Arduino, yeah had earlier released a tweet about the functionality of Moria. This is the, that's the name, I guess, for their mining software. The mining instrument facilitates easy communication between items in the BTC mining ecosystem. Moria helps them interact in a way that is more streamlined, secure, attack resistant, and cost efficient. Quote, each device miner will be identified by a pub private key pair and can stream data hypercores, receive commands via hyperswarms, and an encrypted and secure in an encrypted and secure way. Lower firewall configuration complexity, more resilient to failures, easy replication across sites. Feels more manageable and modular than whatever we tried today. And that's a direct quote from Paul Arduino. So very interesting. Um, I saw they're also getting involved with some like sustainable mining or some, some sort of renewable energy mining down in South America. So yeah, uh, Tether is, I wouldn't say giving back because giving back is a stupid thing to say, but they are investing in Bitcoin because now they are big holders of Bitcoin. They've always been good Bitcoiners. I've never had a problem. They've never attacked Bitcoin. They've only ever facilitated Bitcoin. And so I think, you know, Tether and Bitfinex, there are, they are good actors in the space, even though, you know, they were hacked and I, I could have lost some money in that hack. But anyway, so a handful of public Bitcoin miners log modest hash, modest hashing power gains for July. Marathon operational hash rate ticked up 6%. All right. Up to 18.8 exahash. CleanSpark saw the largest gain in operational hash rate among its peers so far, upping its efficiency by over 13% in one month period. Riot and BitFarm's hashing power remained flat month over month. So that's just an update on the different public miners and how they're doing. Uh, very, very stable to up, right? Stable to higher uh, for the Bitcoin mining industry. Difficulty in hash rate. So my standard source for these charts is temporarily offline. Usually I use SEPA. Uh, I think it's bitcoin.sepa.org or something like that. Uh, Bitcoin's difficulty has not adjusted since last week's issue. Right now on schedule for a slight increase of 0.8% tomorrow. So we'll see if that happens. Mempool. Mempool has stayed relatively flat this week for the first time in six months. And let me bring up this chart. So you can see way over here on the right, it's been relatively flat. Um, I guess you could say this time here in, when would that be? Late June was also flat, but that is like the flattest time in the last six months, going back to the beginning of the year. 
just recently. So uh, interesting development for the mempool. Fees are steady. Mempool is steady. Price is steady. Everything is steady. Fundamentals are great. News is extremely positive, but price just does not want to go up. Very interesting. (laughs) All right, Lightning Network. Uh, Lightning Network is 48% centralized on AWS and Google Cloud. This is kind of a weird way to say this, okay? 48% centralized on two different things. Uh, It's just kind of a weird headline. It's obviously a headline that is meant to be, oops, it is obviously a headline that is meant to be negative towards Bitcoin. But anyway, I say, call me crazy, but I don't see this as that big of a deal. Lightning is a layer two. It is not nearly as important for decentralization on that layer as below. Of course, Lightning is the decentralized layer two option. So in Bitcoin, long time or Listeners of this show will understand this, but layer twos, there is a decentralized version that's lightning. There is a liquid, which is less decentralized with trade-offs. They're federated. They're not completely centralized. They're federated uh, so that you get some trade-offs in decentralization and and, uh, censorship resistance, but you gain in a lot of other things like fast transaction times, confidential transactions, programmability, all sorts of stuff, okay? So Liquid gives you a little bit less decentralization, but a little bit more of everything. Uh, That is the next part of, uh, that's the mid-tier for layer twos. Then you have completely centralized layer twos, and I say like Coinbase uh, or any website. Um, Cash App, if you send Bitcoin via Cash App or Uh, If you send Bitcoin via any centralized app, uh, that would be kind of like a centralized layer two in a way, I guess. Uh, If you send it between customers. So if you send like Bitcoin from one Coinbase customer to another Coinbase customer, that would just update their database. It wouldn't even go on the Bitcoin network. Uh, Same with any app like that. Cash app, probably the same thing. So Uh, Those are centralized layer twos. So you have Lightning, Liquid, centralized layer twos. Right now, Lightning isn't impressing me very much with their adoption rates. Um, But there you have it. It's not that big of a deal for centralization on layer twos. Now, this is the uh, image that they use. You can see Amazon in pink, Google Cloud here in the purple. And Data Web Global, I'm not familiar with that, but it, maybe it's a European web host or something like that. Um, so three big guys. It, it, this reminds me a little bit of the mining pool, mining pools and the you know share of the hash rate or whatever. Um, very similar because you can move your node. You know, the, the, these people don't have access to your private keys or anything. You can move your node to... Um, another host that would be even another layer above complexity of just starting your own node. Um, But that's possible. So this isn't locked in. Uh, On a second look, this is quite distributed actually. And I do think so. It's like, what's what they say the top one 
Uh, Amazon was, uh, it doesn't say on here. I think Amazon was like 20% or something. Uh, no, that would be about 30% on Amazon. That's still quite distributed. It's not like it's over 51%, right? And these are competitors. So it's still, to me, doesn't look that bad. Uh, again, coming back to the headline, centralized on two services. That's not centralized, that's distributed. It's not, it, it is important to note that these hosts do not have the private keys to the Bitcoin and are relatively interchangeable. While it is not ideal to have this large of concentrations, it's again layer two, not the consensus money layer. Bitcoin, the asset, is unaffected by this. The centralization argument against Ethereum, for example, which is what I think they're trying to you know, downplay Ethereum centralization, by saying lightning is centralized, but lightning is layer two and Ethereum is layer one. Um, their layer one nodes being centralized on hosts. 58% of Ethereum consensus nodes are on hosting providers. 58%. While Bitcoin has 62% of nodes on Tor and only roughly 10% on hosting services. 10% versus 58%. Ethereum is completely centralized on the hosting um, and they have like triple, you know, three counterparties in their hosting. So you'll have Infura, you'll have Consensus, and then you'll have AWS, right? Or something like that. And all of those companies could technically have like single point of failure on, on the Ethereum network here. So that's different than lightning because lightning is layer two where this is ethereum's main network all right so that was altcoin heavy today guys but that's going to do it for this episode and this week of the fundamentals report thank you guys for subscribing thank you for checking me out on the live stream if you're watching on youtube or rumble please like share subscribe comment down below so people can find this stuff my name is Ansel Lindner. Check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. And I'll see you guys all on the next one. Bye.